Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Frank. That's one of the lovely, most uncomfortable passages in the Bible. And Sarah's going to preach on it. (laughs) Really, really uh, grateful for Sarah, our youth worker, who's uh, come today to speak on her specialist subject. Uh, Sarah, as you know, uh, did a thesis uh, for an end of a degree on pornography and its effect on young people and the church. And I'm thrilled that today she's going to be speaking um, about it. Now, some of you have been to evenings that she's run for parents and uh, some of it's going to be the same, but not all of it. And uh, I'm just thrilled that she's going to come and share this really crucial message for us that as a church could be one of the biggest challenges we face in the next few years. So we're going to pray for Sarah as she uh, brings all that she's prepared. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you for Sarah. We want to thank you for the word that you've placed in her for today. Thank you for the preparation that she's done. And Lord, we pray now that you blow your spirit onto it and that you bring it alive And that we, as your people, your children, hear your voice today. Lord, this is such an important issue, not only for young people, but for all of us. And so, Lord Jesus, speak to us, encourage us, challenge us, and help us, Lord, to understand what you're saying. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Good morning. Um, it is true that it is one of the things that I'm famous for talking about most um, in youth circles. Uh, but the other thing is version. So I think that evens itself out, um, really, on the whole. Um, now, before we get started, in the pews in front of you, if you've got one in front of you, or if not, underneath your chair, there is a questionnaire um, that I would like everyone to fill in. So if you don't have one, if you could just raise your hand and we'll pass you one. Um, please don't put your names on them, and please don't feel that you can't tell the complete truth. Um, So if you could just fill them in. Uh, There's pens at the front if you need them. And then I've got some willing volunteers who are going to come around with buckets to collect your questionnaires. So if you just do that right now, and please do it whatever the circumstances, whether you've... um, Ah, some people are bringing them. Excellent. Yeah, uh, whether you've never looked at pornography before, please fill it in. Um, if it's the last thing you did this morning, please fill it in. Otherwise, it just skews the results. So that would be brilliant. And then when they're filled in, fold them in half, wave them in the air, and we'll come and collect them. Jonah, there's some people over there look already on it. Girls, are you ready to come and do some collecting? Thank you. And then my beautiful assistant, Mark, is going to make them into graphs uh, just so we can see if the church statistics um, fit with the world statistics. There we are. Okay, one more minute to do that. It's really quick. Wave them in the air once they're done, and then the buckets will come your way. That's it. Okay, are we all done? Last few. Wave them in the air if they're not collected. Oh, there we are. Take them to Mark at the back because he's itching to get started. Uh, Frank, have you done them? There's some at the table at the back. Would you mind just filling them in and bringing them down? Sorry, thank you. Lovely job. Okay, um, so yeah, uh, for those of you that, that... still in any doubt. This morning we will be talking about pornography 
And it is a subject that we have to keep returning to in youth. And sadly, it is an issue that causes quite a lot of our young people to stumble. And that's why I chose to write my dissertation on that subject, um, because I thought to myself, if it's causing the young people I know to stumble, is that a common problem? And what I found out was I didn't know the half of it. Um, So when we talk about pornography today, we're not talking about a magazine that you found on the Heath with some pictures of some naked ladies in. And I think probably for people my age and over, when you think of pornography, that's what you think of. Um, But that's not the case anymore. Most of those images can now be found in mainstream magazines and on the television. Um, And a lot of what was considered porn 20 years ago can now be seen in a 15-rated film. Um, So sex scenes on TV doubled between 1998 and 2005, which means that as a society, we've become much more permissive in our attitudes towards sex. Um, Consequently, when I'm talking about pornography now, um, I'm speaking of hardcore pornography that involves multiple different genres um, of sexual intercourse, nearly all of which involves violence, degradation, and pain. Um, So that's what we're talking about when we talk about young people viewing pornography today, um, that sort of scene. But it's not just a young person problem. It's not just a teenage boy thing. Uh, So what I want to talk about is how we can push through that and find freedom. And I'm not going to dwell on the moral issues of porn today. Uh, The Bible talks about sex within marriage being great and looking at other people lustfully being a sin. So I think we can be fairly confident about the biblical stance on porn Um, And morally, there's no doubt that porn use is contributing massively to people trafficking and abuse um, and child sexual exploitation. Um, But that's not really what I'm interested in talking about today, Uh, although I can debate that with you until the cows come home. Um, But I'm not going to because our our point of today is not to make anyone feel guilty or ashamed. Um, The opposite of that needs to happen in order to achieve freedom from porn. So please know now that here in the church there is no judgment, um, only a desire for a light to be shone in this area in order to help those that are struggling with addiction. So this is a safe space for anyone seeking freedom to come and talk to me or Mark or others in the ministerial team at the end of the morning. (coughs) So turn to the person next to you and see if you can come up with a definition of addiction. Uh, What do you think we mean by addiction? Okay, so addiction, um, the definition I like best of addiction is an ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure. So that's what we mean by addiction, that you start off only needing a little, but the cravings increase, so you have to increase what it is that you're addicted to in order to achieve the same level of pleasure. Um, So now we're going to move on to some truths about porn. And number one is that it is an addiction. Um, Porn is an addiction rather than a behavior choice. Um, And I think if we believe that and we um, accept the truth in that, then that greatly helps the way that we can help people move on from it. Aristotle claimed that we are what we repeatedly do. So over 90% of therapists believe that a person can become addicted to pornography. And 67% of 18-year-olds that were polled last year thought that pornography was definitely addictive and definitely damaging, uh, rendering us, as the Bible warns in Titus, slaves to our passions and our pleasures. Uh, So the pornography addiction may also lead to doubt and confusion about sexual orientation. 
Um, this is because, as I said, there's many different genres, and on the computer you're able to flick from genre to genre very easily, and that, that leads to confusion and upset uh, when you find yourself looking at things that you wouldn't have dreamt of looking at. And this is particularly difficult for young people who have no sexual experience, um, and more and more I see this issue play out in youth work. Pornography leads to law-breaking. Many people in the grip of this addiction escalate to chat rooms, hookup sites, live sex acts, sex workers, as well as an increase in sexual violence. Uh, so there is no doubt from the research that pornography does lead to law-breaking. Pornography lies. Uh, young people who have no sexual experience develop an idea that what they see in pornography is the sexual norm, and that entwines into their lifestyle and it impacts uh, the way that they live. And that was really hit home for me when I was at one of the high schools fairly recently um, talking to a biology teacher who had been doing a puberty recap with his 16-year-old grade A GCSE students. And one of the young lads put up his hand and said, but women don't have pubic hair. And they said, pardon? And he said, I've seen hundreds and women don't have pubic hair. So the reality is that for these young people, what they're seeing in pornography, they're believing and taking as their sexual education. Um, and that's really, really damaging. Can you imagine the sort of pressure that those sort of lies put on our young people? Um, so please, if you take nothing else from this morning, just join me in praying for those young people and for their peers who maybe don't have someone that they can talk these things through with who are believing those lies. Uh, and number six, uh, pornography um, addiction causes lots of other psychological complaints. And many people believed up until fairly recently that pornography addiction existed as part of a pre-existing problem, such as depression or OCD or childhood trauma. Um, they believe that that led to the pornography addiction. But the research doesn't support this. In fact, most of the research shows that addiction causes the psychological conditions. So the pornography addiction will cause the OCD and the depression and the anxiety. Um, so are we doing a disservice to people by medicating for psychological illnesses and erectile dysfunction when in fact these symptoms would be greatly helped by simply reducing their watching of pornography? Um, in churches, it's not just an out there problem, I'm afraid. Evidence suggests the problems of pornography is just as bad in churches as it is in secular settings. It's reported that 50% of Christian men and 20% of Christian women are addicted to porn. And recently in Christianity Today, which is a magazine I read, um, there was a British pastor who um, surveyed his own congregation, much as we've done this morning, in order to disprove those figures. Um, and he actually found 60% of the men in his congregation were addicted to porn, and 25% of the women. Um, so these are really real figures. This is happening in churches as well. What would you do with five extra hours a week? If I gifted you now five extra hours a week, what would you do? You could sleep. You could take up a sport. You could learn a whole language, probably, with five hours a week. You could volunteer for something here at the church. You could... Five hours a week... Yeah? What would you do with five hours a week? Work here. Excellent. Yeah, if you all worked here for five hours a week, that would be awesome. Um, a survey of 29,000 people in America 
showed that 51% of men and 16% of women spend five hours per week online for sexual purposes. Um, and it gets worse, 11%, a further 11% of men uh, spend between five and 20 hours a week that way. Um, so five extra hours a week, yeah, I mean, this definitely proves the point about it being addictive, um, but more, more than that, it's stealing time from your families, it's stealing time from your work, um, and it's stealing time from God and the church. Um, a recent study of 1,000 children estimated that 53% of 11-year-olds have seen explicit material online. 28% claim that they first found it accidentally. Um, the rest claim that they were shown it by friends. Uh, perhaps even more worryingly, 53% of the boys and 39% of those girls felt that that was a very real depiction of what sex is. So we're no longer talking about if our children see pornography, but when they see it. Um, it's no longer adequate to advise our children to just turn off the page and look at something else. Uh, we must provide them with a framework to help them understand what it is that they see when they discover porn. In 2016, a report by the House of Commons reported that children as young as eight years old were learning about sex for exposure to hardcore porn. And that's backed up by other studies. That's a shocking statistic, but it is backed up. The report goes on to say that it is not necessarily leading women to have sexual intercourse younger, uh, but it is influencing what they choose to do when they are sexually active. Um, so the NSC, NSPCC suggests that porn causes a huge problem with children and their body image, which again I see in, in my role working with young people. Um, and that's backed up not only by an increase in self-harm and eating disorders, but there's also a massive growing number in people seeking genital cosmetic surgery. Okay, Mark, have you got those statistics? No. <laughs> okay, we'll come back to you in a minute. Okay. Mark, Mark works well, but not fast. He's very much the tortoise in our relationship. <laughs> we'll do this bit first, and we'll show those at the end. I'm sorry, was that harsh? <laughs> but the tortoise wins in the end. Yeah. <laughs> okay, recovery and teaching. This is, this is the bit that we really wanted to focus on. How can we recover from porn addiction? How can we help those that we love recover from porn addiction? And how can we pray for those that we know suffer with porn, and porn addiction? And how can we protect our children, our grandchildren, the children here in the church? Uh, so the first one is online safety. Recovering from pornography addiction requires us to abstain from looking at porn in order to recover the brain's sensitivities. Um, this can take months for the brain's pathways to adjust, um, but most places suggest three months as an interim goal. So online safety, you can upload pornography blockers um, so that you can't easily find pornography, and that's a brilliant idea if you've got children. Just do it. Go home this afternoon and do that. Um, but remember, this alone cannot be relied upon to protect our children. Um, put your hands up if you think you know more about the computer than the nearest teenager. No. no. If you can put a blocker on, they can get through it in 10, 15 minutes. And, of course, that just leads them to something else to feel guilty about. So online blockers are brilliant to stop accidental stumbling, but they don't replace the conversations. The conversations are crucial. Uh, there's a button in YouTube that you can set to allow parental controls on what videos and what age videos are watched. 
move your computer into a public area, no tablets or phones in bedrooms, and that's parents too, lead by examples, um, keep them all in public areas. Um, you can join a forum with an online accountability partner for support, or find an accountability partner here in the church to support you. Um, binges will quickly erode your progress, so the key is to get back on track as quickly as possible. Number two in moving into recovery is talk it out. Our natural temptation uh, with this sort of subject is to be embarrassed and not to talk about sexual matters, but that's not helping our children to understand their bodies in responsible and self-protective ways. So the answer is not to censor, ignore, or stop conversations about sex and pornography, but to provide times of safe and open dialogue so that we can support and nurture our young people in their decisions. Where sexual education and open conversations are missing, they will be talking and believing myths at school. Uh, and the, missing, the myths and the rumours will circulate widely, and those children that don't have the conversations that they need to have have no choice but to believe the myths and the rumours. And then they make their decisions based on that belief. So teaching is compulsory, and that's why... I'm famous for talking about it in youth work because I believe that we need to talk openly about these matters to create an environment where questions are asked and answered in a safe and Bible-centered way. Um, so please pray for myself and my team as we continue to do that. Um, so these conversations, I believe, are crucial. Um, Offset in 2016 uh, called for secondary school pupils to learn about pornography in the framework of relationships and sexuality. Um, and this was with the intention of protecting them from inappropriate behaviour. Currently, however, schools are allowed to write their own curriculum for sex and relationship education. Um, so each individual school chooses what they're going to include and what they're not going to include. Um, therefore, we cannot assume that schools are going to teach our children about sex. Uh, we need to be proactive in praying for schools and teachers and governors as we push forward with this issue. And that's one of the things that I'm, I'm acting upon. Um, young people, when they were surveyed in the secondary schools, they expressed the belief that not speaking to them about pornography until they were teenagers was too late. They said they need to be taught as soon as they were old enough to access the internet. Um, obviously, they'd need to be taught age appropriately. Uh, but the statistics show that it's wrong to assume that a 10-year-old does not need to know about the dangers of pornography. And I recently spoke to the father of a 9-year-old who caught his son watching pornography after having been shown it by a friend in the playground on his phone the day before. And that's, that's not an unusual story. Um, and that age will probably decrease as children become more and more computer literate at a younger age. So we need to be really aware of that. So think about teaching children safety on the internet as you would uh, in the same way as you would letting them play in your local park. So the park is a fun place and it's full of opportunities for play and interaction and learning, but it's also a dangerous place with strangers and needles and filthy toilets in most parks. So when a child is young, you take them there, don't you? You watch their every move, you guide them as to what they are and they aren't allowed to do. And this should be true of, an, of the internet. The internet is a fun place full of many, many exciting adventures. But a child needs to be guided, taught, and supported as they use it. So if you wouldn't send your child to the park alone, don't let them wander freely around the internet either. 
And as your child grows, you may allow them to go to the park on their own for a while with a trusted friend, because by then, you've laid the ground rules. They know not to speak to strangers. Um, they, know, they know to remain in the main area, uh, to keep their shoes on, come home if they need the loo. Um, and by the time your child is in secondary school, they will be using the internet independently for homework and games and things like that. So therefore, it's crucial that the teaching is already done, that the groundwork is already laid um, so that they can understand what it is they're looking at. Uh, they know where they should and shouldn't go, and they need to know that you're still close by for conversations and support. So it is absolutely vital that we empower our children to choose rather than just expecting them to choose uh, without the... Uh, the weapons that they need to make the right choice. And innocence is not the same as ignorance. So a lot of people say, I don't want to talk to my children about porn. I don't want to spoil their innocence. Actually, keeping them ignorant so they stumble across it is the way you're going to spoil their innocence. And I, I believe very strongly that they need to talk about it before they see it. And once they have seen it, in order to resist addiction... Um, and I don't believe that will spark interest, but it will, in fact, prepare them and protect them. Uh, so, yeah, keep it in context uh, and keep it regular um, so that they know that they can talk. Because um, we need to teach children that within the right context, sex is good, healthy, and natural. A loving relationship focuses on faithfulness and the welfare of both people. And through the b book of Song and Songs in the Bible... Um, we can see sexual intercourse is celebrated within marriage. It is created by God and therefore should be received with thanksgiving and joy. And we need to teach our young people that. They need to know that sex binds you to, the, to their partner forever. Um, therefore, as Christians, I believe that sex before marriage is a lie. And one can no more try out sex than you can try out giving birth. It creates something that is lasting. You, you can't just have a go. Uh, sex itself, then, isn't the sin, but rather it's the potential consequences when used outside God's guideline. And pornography takes that thing that was meant for good, and it twists it, giving false messages about how to treat both people and sex. In addition to this, within the church setting, we should teach that pornography will weaken our relationship with God. Um, and we see that in the Bible with Solomon, where his unchecked sexual desires turned his heart away from God. Many argue that culturally we live in a constant expectancy of instant gratification and entertainment. And we see that with our young people with the phones out and this now. And, you know, you order something from Amazon on Prime and if it doesn't come tomorrow, then you're wondering where it is. And we, we have created this culture and a sense of deserving. So again, we need to teach our young people that pornography offers only short-term pleasure in return for long-term pain. And children need to understand that from the outset. Teaching needs to be honest, and we must acknowledge that while we often find ourselves disliking the shame and the consequences, that doesn't remove the initial attraction. Whilst pornography in the privacy of our own home may seem like an innocent pleasure, it soon becomes apparent that there's a huge price to pay. Children need to be aware of the consequences before we expect them to decide whether or not to watch. We must constantly affirm children's own value and worth to empower them to withstand pressure, not only from their peers, but from older adults who may want to persuade them away from their values. And lastly, in order to recover, 
Lastly, in order to recover, we need accountability. Um, this means that the person recovering has someone to talk honestly with. There is software on the computer that can help with that. You can download that, and that will email your accountability partner so that they can keep track of what you're watching and what you're using. But many people just find that having someone that they can talk to who's non-judgmental um, and they can be really honest with is really helpful. And that's one of the reasons that we run the mentoring program for our young people. Um, where to the best of our stretched manpower, we provide someone understanding and supportive for the young people to pray with them and talk to them as they tackle these issues. So that's a lot of information, and I apologize for that, although not too much because I took out loads of information. It was hard. Um, uh, so to consolidate that and to help us just think through what that means in the real world, uh, Rich is going to come up now and bravely just share some of his story. Pardon? Is Mark ready for the statistics first? All right, we'll do the statistics first, then Rich. I'll keep you waiting. Okay, can you make it come up here, please? So the first question was, have you looked at pornography in the last year? And actually, 22% of you have. Uh, so that is lower than the national average. Have you looked at pornography in the last month? I can't read that. 7%? No, go back to the month one. I think 7% have looked in the last month. Do you always feel that you're in control of what you watch? No, 22% are not in control of what you watch. So that's where we're talking about it leading to law-breaking um, and leading on from that. Uh, number four was approximately how many hours a week do you spend? Oh, I'll do it myself. I see. Uh, I can't read that. 20% 20% one hour a week. 20% half an hour a week and 60% not hours a week. Okay. Number five, does pornography change your mood, attitude, or behavior as far as you're aware? 80% of you have put yes, it does. Um, so that's where it becomes more worrying. The uh, lower statistics perhaps are watching it, but 80% of you are finding that it changes your attitudes and behavior, uh, perhaps towards the other sex or to each other. Were you under 18 when you started watching pornography? 29% were. Do you have friends and family who watch pornography that you know of? 55% do, do know of people. Do you feel that their moods, attitudes, and behaviors are altered when they use pornography? And again, 38, 38% think that they do. And do you know if they were under 18 when they first started looking at pornography? And many suspect that they were. Um, and it's really the, for me, it was the under 18 watching that really interests me um, because that's where habits are really formed and laid down. But I've become aware from doing my dissertation that, that it's not a case of just youth that are struggling with it. So Rich, now, is that all right? Thank you. Right, so, ooh, good afternoon, just. So this is, um, this is my story and my journey with porn. Um, it's been a, a long story, but it's not over yet. And um, but it is an increasingly God-driven, God great story. Um, I want to tell you about my journey, what I've been doing, um, share with you some of the things I've learned about porn and sex and healing. But I just don't want you to walk away with a few facts. Um, I want you to walk away with your hope renewed in God um, and the fact that He is a healing God. And that if you need to, you can take the first steps to letting God deal with your porn issues. So I was part of the first generation that discovered porn on the internet. 
Um, but that wasn't really the start of it. It kind of only fueled what was there before. Um, I think I was probably around 10 years old when I had my first porn encounter. Um, it was a magazine that I found in somebody's bedroom. And uh, you know, from that moment, I was amazed and enthralled by what I'd seen. But I, I just didn't know what had hit me. Um, and as I grew up, I remember searching for quiet opportunities to be alone and to, to find that magazine and imagine my joy when new magazines appeared. I don't recall when I started to masturbate, but I think it was when I was an early teen. Um, I was away at boarding school and it began to help me feel confident about myself. I was a short, fat, techie kid at an all-boys boarding school, very focused on sports, so I wasn't really a natural fit. Um, and I realized that growing up, it was something, that I guess, that I could control. So I was around when the first set of porn sites came online, and I found myself becoming easily hooked, searching a couple of times a day at the lowest points. Um, and this pattern of physical behavior continued for many years. Um, however, during this, year, during this period, my spiritual life was beginning to grow. It was a, it was a constant source of comfort for me, and um, uh, especially at school. But really, during my time at university, I took hold of my faith and started to lean into it. I became involved in the church, the Christian union, and realized what God really loved me and wanted the best for me. I met Claire at uni, and uh, we both started going out not long after. But I remember one decision early on in our relationship was that I needed to tell Claire that I had an issue with porn. Um, it was a hard choice, but it was a start of a long road to recovery. We started a process of being open and her holding me accountable to what I'd, what I'd been doing. Um, I found it really hard to tell her um, and tell her that I'd screwed up again and faced that cycle of you know, disappointment and shame. So we had an accountability book where I'd write things down, and it was an easy way for Claire to, um, to check up on it. And over time, the slips, they slowed, but they never quite disappeared. Um, I found another partner um, who would pray for me. And I remember one meeting in particular, I was sitting down, and he said, look, if you really want to get serious about this, then you need to get God to sort it. And it is like... Uh, you know, one of those special Kairos moments where you suddenly realize, wow, yes, okay, I need to deal with this. And that was the start of a long process of spiritual healing. Through many prayer and healing sessions, God took me back to events in my life, um, made me relive past events and showing me the lies that I've been believing about those events. Um, he showed me where Jesus was in those situations and what Jesus was actually trying to tell me. Jesus is always with us. He hears our cries, he hears our, um, he sees our tears and, hear, and sees our scars. Um, because of what he has done, he is able to heal our, those wounds and he is able to heal us and help us patch up those, those broken hearts and to move forward and to step into his healing and reality of love. For me, there were many wounds. There were feelings of abandonment, bullying, physical illnesses from eczema, bulimia and porn and physical... Um, and porn addiction. For addressing these wounds, God showed me the spiritual side of life. He showed me the battles that needed to be won in my mind. He showed me the tools, how to do that, and the truths that I needed to believe. I started to learn scripture, recognize when the devil was trying to tempt me with lies and, and um, spiritual attack. It wasn't all negative, though. I learned about freedom, freedom from guilt and sin, and um, learned how to listen to God. And I can hear God clearly now than I've ever done before. God has been so good to me, and he's healed me from so many things. But I know I'm not there yet. I still screw up, 
but I know that God will forgive me and he'll teach me something else and I'll take one more step closer to him to being the man that he's made me. So what have I learned in my journey with God, um, with porn that I think you know, someone else could learn from? So the firstly, don't make stupid mistakes for the next generation. You know, why did that person leave that magazine there? I've no idea. But you know, if you've got kids or you're responsible for kids, don't be stupid with them. Bring it out into the light. The most important thing is to be honest to someone about your problems. You have to bring it out to the light and talk about the issues. You can't hide from it. You need to use technology to your advantage. So you need to set boundaries, something like open DNS or um, covenant eyes, pin codes on your TV, no private browsing on your web, phone, on your web browser. Um, you need to set yourself up with an accountability partner who can search your every move. However, this is only so good. In an increasingly tech-savvy world, it's easy to find ways around this. Um, but they serve as a good warning sign. So, you know, don't do this. If you're regularly breaking the safety net, then it's time to be honest and to ask God for the next layer of healing. So thirdly, porn rewires the brain. It distorts your internal wiring, so your sexual arousal is triggered by the wrong things. Addiction means that over time, you need to look at more and more intense images for the same hit. But you can't find that same hit. And you begin to enter into this cycle of depression where your brain isn't getting the, the same hit level from the same stimulus. Continued addiction can lead to further issues around depression and other chemical imbalances in your brain. And the brain begins to rewire itself. It can lead to fear, fear that you won't be able to perform and hence sexual dysfunction becomes a spiritual issue and an issue of the mind rather than an issue of the body. But if you let him, then over time, God can help you rewire your brain and by his healing power. Another thing I've learned is that porn is a set of lies. As a Christian, I struggled with this. I thought that porn was a simple thing uh, between God and I. I knew it was bad and wrong because of the guilt and shame. But no one was really getting hurt. It was nice. It helped me through tough times. And I could stop when I didn't when I wanted to. But eventually I realized I couldn't stop and that I needed help before it really got out of hand. It's taken me a long time to truly understand that porn's a set of lies. It took me a long time to understand the impact it had on those I loved, both emotionally and spiritually. And time to realize what God, that God intended for sex isn't really about the physical act of sex. It's the peak physical embodiment of a spiritual relationship between a man and a wife. And porn distorts this. Porn focuses on the physical act of sex rather than the spiritual bonds. Therefore, you become obsessed with the physical high of sex by masturbating to sexual images in front of you. Your brain becomes rewired to associate sex with the physical imagery of sex, whereas God designed it to be the climax of relationship between man and wife. They share their time together. They share their possessions and they have conversation together. It takes time, effort, humility, forgiveness and love to build that link. And then, at the end of all of that effort, you're rewarded with sex and it becomes the physical manifestation of their spiritual relationship. The two are tightly linked. But when one of the partners begins to or is addicted to porn, then the physical manifestation isn't really about the spiritual side of their relationship. It focuses on the selfish pleasure of the addictee. They lose focus on what it is about and focus on their own self-pleasure. They lose the desire to build the relationship and to fulfill the hit that that brain is wired up to receive. And when this happens and as the addiction progresses, then the addictee can suffer worry and stress that sex won't fulfill that dopamine hit. 
This can cause distance between partners, erectile dysfunction, or it can cause couples to stray into interpretations of sex that God didn't really intend. Um, pornography, orgies, um, uh, bondage, anything you know, off that isn't normal. And finally, um, addiction is one thing, but it's usually a symptom or a mask for something else. My experience is that porn is not the issue. Yes, it's bad, but it's usually covering up something else that God wants to deal with you in your life. So take the hint. If you struggle with porn, then God wants to heal that, but also heal something much deeper. So at the end, what do I want you to take away? Well, I'd like to ask, leave you with a question. So if you're given a choice, would you like to take a, ch- a path that has short-term gains but can be very quickly lead down a path that damages your health and relationships? Or would you like to choose a path that is hard work, embarrassing, painful, but ultimately leads to healing, freedom, and a closer walk with God? Thank you. Thanks, Rich. That was amazing, wasn't it? I mean, that was so honest and so true. Um, But actually, if Rich can do it, we all can. You, you can all break through that with, with help, with, um, with what you need here at church. So if you're struggling with addiction to pornography, remember above all else that God loves you um, and he wants the best for you and your relationships. And it might be that today is prompting you to get some help. And please do, if that's the case. Hebrews, I'll just finish with a word from the Bible. Hebrews 4 verse 16 tells us, let's approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Don't believe that God has given up on you or is disgusted with you. Approach his throne and seek the help you need to find freedom. Okay, I think Claire's going to come up and lead us in communion, but Simon's going to come and lead us in communion. It's a hard morning. We, um, the sun's shining <clears throat> and we want to believe that the world is all well when the sun shines. And uh, if you thought that was hard to listen to, then share, as you did, so well to respond to the effort that both Sarah and Rich uh, put in this morning uh, in order to communicate to us. The statistics suggest that uh, we are doing much better than the national average. My own pastoral experience makes me wonder whether that's true. Sometimes people go, why does the church go on about sex all of the time? It's like an obsession of the church, to which you might have heard me respond on so many other occasions. We talk about it in the way that we do because we see so often the car crash that it brings to people's lives. And Jesus invites us in the midst of our car crash, in the midst of our pain and our heartache and our sense of shame and guilt or our anguish for someone that we know and love. Jesus invites us to draw near to him. And we're simply going to do that as we work out the rest of our morning, gathering around the communion table. We, we come to him. You bring light in the darkness, we're going to sing. You bring hope to the broken, we're going to pray. And we're going to allow in these moments the Spirit of Jesus to come and 
Just touch our hearts, whatever we need. For some of us, we just need that sense of this has been hard work lifting from us. For others of us, we're, we're not sure that it's our deal. We don't quite get it. Uh, and, and it's easy to, to wonder why it's such a big issue for some. Uh, and then we quietly hear the Spirit reminding us of what our big issue happens to be. And we're grateful they're not talking about that this morning. And so we come with a sense of humility and openness. Uh, would you stand with me as I pray? So, Father, we're asking for uh, the presence of your Son, Jesus. We're asking for the love and life and freedom that he brings. We're asking that we'd restore our trust in the one who brings hope, even to the most hopeless of situations, who shines his light even in the midst of the darkness. And we're going to sing together, you give life, you are love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken. Great are you, Lord. And so we open up our hearts and our lives to the powerful name of Jesus, thankful that we're not what we were, but you're calling us into all that we shall be. So let's sing together.